The Scripture passage today is not in John. We are taking a a slight detour for three sermons uh, this morning, Christmas Eve, and the day after Christmas. We're going to be doing a little three-part series in Luke's Gospel. Our text today is in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you, as we do every week, to open them up and follow along as I read and keep them open as, as, uh, as we go through this sermon. If you don't have a Bible with you but would like to use one, you'll find a Bible in the seat in front of you underneath. And if you're going to be using that Bible, you'll find our passage on pages 855 and 856. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <clears throat> well, Luke was a master historian. And if I had begun uh, reading my passage where Luke begins uh, his scroll, you'll find out that what Luke is reporting are eyewitness accounts. He, being a good historian, has gone and collected from all of the sources what indeed happened in those days. And the days that, that Luke is recording, the account that he's talking about, or are, in fact, he says, uh, during the days of Herod the Great, Herod the ruler of Judea. Now, Herod the Great, those of you who uh, know about him, know that he was in many ways, an amazing man. He was an amazing architect, a visionary. In fact, you could go to Israel today and still see some of the things that he designed and built. Caesarea Maritima, the, the amazing harbor that he built on the Mediterranean Sea is still there, and you can visit it today. And he utilized new technology that had never been used before. You can go today, even today, and visit his mountaintop fortress called Masada. Which, uh, which he built in case an invasion happened. And uh, we know that, that there was a group that even hid up there for a while until the Romans overtook them. But perhaps most impressively, Herod completely redesigned in a way or built upon the temple in Jerusalem. The temple that was built, well, rebuilt uh, after Solomon's temple had been destroyed uh, a group of Israelites during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple. It, it never was completely rebuilt uh, according and, and looking like the glory that it, that it had during Solomon's day, but then King Herod came along and added to it, and he expanded it, and he made it a massive and beautiful temple. And so you can see during the days of Herod all of this luxury, all of this uh, pomp and circumstance, technological advances. But, but the other thing we have to know is that during the time of Herod, king of Judea, it was in fact a dark time as well. For the people living in Israel, it was an incredibly dark time. Josephus, historian, tells us that Herod was not only a great architect, but that he was an oppressive ruler. He was a brutal ruler. He was a puppet king placed there by the Roman Empire, which was itself a brutal force that overtook all opponents and ruled with an iron fist. Well, the people of Israel living during this time were 
carrying on as best they could. They had really no power to overthrow any of these characters, and so they tried their best to carry on with the traditions that they had and eke out year after year after year. Despite the grandeur of the temple, Herod's temple, it never quite recaptured the glory that it had when Solomon was alive. In fact, uh, the temple, as beautiful and as exorbitant as it was, lacked what was perhaps the most important thing in Solomon's temple, which was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant that had been in Solomon's temple had been lost or destroyed and carried away in the invasion of Babylon and never recovered. And so even though the temple, the new temple, had a nice design and was designed the same way the Ark was gone, perhaps worse, God had ceased speaking to Israel. For 400 years... God had remained silent. The last prophet was the prophet Malachi. That was 400 years before this time that Luke is telling us about. And it was during this time that a priest named Zechariah lived. Now again, this priest was essentially a nobody. Luke tells us that he was of the division of Abijah, There were 24 divisions of priests. Each division would serve for a week at a time, uh, taking care of all of the things that the temple demanded, all the services of the temple. They would serve for a week at a time, twice a year. And that covered 48 weeks out of the year. The other weeks were major festivals, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost, And it was during those major feasts that all of the divisions would come together and serve the temple at the same time. There were 18,000 priests in all. And Zechariah was one of 18,000. He had a wife, we're told. Her name was Elizabeth, and she was herself a a great-great-great-granddaughter of the first high priest, Aaron. Now, they weren't sinless, nobody is, but Luke tells us that in their own way, uh, they faithfully followed God's law, that they took care to obey his commands as best they could, and, and they trusted God for salvation as they looked forward to his promises. They were, however, old, both of them advanced in years, and Elizabeth was barren, and barrenness in those days carried with it a stigma that perhaps God was punishing you for something that you had done. In the big scheme of things, they were a couple of nobodies living in the shadow of great kings and emperors. But one day, Zechariah the priest was given an amazing gift. We see this in verses 8 through 12. There were 18,000 priests, 24 divisions, so there were 750 priests per division. Zechariah was serving on that particular day at the temple. And at the temple, each day, there was a morning and an evening sacrifice that was made. And for each of those sacrifices, there would be the burning of incense that would occur before the sacrifice. 
someone, one of these priests that happened to be serving in that division would be chosen by lot, by the casting of lots, to serve as the one who would go and burn the incense. The burning of the incense happened inside the holy place. It happened inside the temple. The temple was divided inside between the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy of holies was a room where God's presence resided. And the holy place was separated from the holy of holies by a massive curtain. And into the holy of holies, only one man could go, and that was the high priest. And he only once a year on the Day of Atonement. For the other priests, some of them occasionally had the privilege of entering the holy place. The burning of the incense, the thing that Zechariah was asked to do that day, was an immense privilege of these priests. Those who did it got to do it once in their lifetime. Most priests never got to do it. For any priest who was able and called upon to burn the incense, it would have probably been the highlight of his entire life. And that day, Zechariah was called upon. The lots were cast. And when we think of casting lots or rolling dice, we generally think of that as letting luck uh, rule the day. But for the Israelites, the casting of lots was anything but luck. It was, in fact, turning the decision completely over to God and His providence. And that day, it was in God's providence that Zechariah would burn the incense. And so this old man, who had been serving God for years, had the privilege of a lifetime. And you can imagine how he felt as he entered that day into the holy place. In the holy place, there were three objects. There was the golden lampstand that emitted the light that flickered in the room. There was the altar of incense, and there was the table of showbread. And as this old man entered into the holy place, he was carrying with him a ladle that held approximately a gallon of incense, which he would walk in, and as he walked toward the altar of incense, he could see immediately behind it the curtain, knowing that if he stepped through that curtain, it would mean certain death. You can imagine how he felt as the light flickered and as he walked in the silence towards the altar to burn the incense. He had essentially three tasks. His task was to pray as he entered, pray all the way up to the altar of incense, pour out his gallon of incense, prostrate himself before the altar, and then leave. You can imagine already the kind of emotions and, and perhaps trepidation that he had, and then suddenly, and without warning, as he's pouring this gallon of incense, an angel of the Lord appears in the room with him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Try to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. You can only imagine the kind of emotion and fear that suddenly ratchets up. 
Well, in fact, we don't have to imagine it because Scripture tells us that he was shaken. The word there is, is, is like something shaken in a jar and that fear fell upon him. He was, he was overcome with fear. I would imagine at that moment he was prostrating himself. The angel was standing on the right side of the altar. The altar represented and signified the presence of God, which is why they would prostrate themselves before it. And the angel was standing, therefore, at the right hand of God, showing that he had the authority given by God to deliver this message to Zechariah. Verses 13 through 17 give us the message. We find out that the angel's name is Gabriel. Gabriel means God's mighty one. Gabriel shows up, and Gabriel has been sent to deliver a message. He's been sent to break 400 years of silence. And the message that he brings to this obscure priest that day in the holy place is the greatest message the world has ever heard. Think about that. It wasn't Caesar Augustus who had the privilege of hearing this message. It wasn't even King Herod. It was an old man who had the privilege of hearing this news. And Gabriel told him two things. The first thing he told him was, don't be afraid. Now, that's kind of, if you read the Bible enough, that's kind of the universal phrase of angels. Uh, I don't know if you've you know, seen popular depictions of angels. My uh, kids and I watched, I guess it was last week, you know those old like Rankin-Bass like Christmas specials that were out in the 70s and and uh, they, they, they like use claymation, and they're kind of on every year. We watched one, I think it was this one, it was called like A Year Without Santa Claus. And um, they have an angel in that. And it's the least fearsome thing you'll ever see in your life. It's like a, a chubby little cherub uh, flying around with a big smile on its face, smaller than any human. That's not how the Bible depicts angels. The Bible depicts angels such that when Roman soldiers who have seen the worst that life can bring you see an angel, they fall down as though paralyzed with fear. Can imagine then the fear that Zechariah has. But Gabriel says, do not be afraid. He says, your prayer, Zechariah, has been heard. What prayer is he talking about? I mean, if you just read the text, you may think that what he's saying is, it is your prayer that you and your wife Elizabeth have been praying for a son. That could be the first thing that you think. However, I don't think that's the prayer he's talking about. And for two reasons. One, because when the angel finally tells him that they're going to bear a son, Zechariah can't believe it. He says, how in the world can that happen given our age? The fact is, he and Elizabeth have probably finished praying for children. I have no doubt that, that a prayer for a child was probably something that they prayed almost every day for years and years and years, but 
by this time they've given up. It's something that to them seems impossible, that it could ever happen. But secondly, I think the prayer that Gabriel is talking about is not that because it was the priest's duty, you see, that as he carried the incense toward the altar, that he would offer up prayers not for himself, but for the nation of Israel. That the prayer that he would have been offering up to God at that moment as he was praying, as he was pouring out the incense on the altar, would have been a prayer for a child, yes, but not for his own child. It would have been a prayer for the Messiah to come. The prayer would have been that the Lord keep his promises and send a deliverer to save Israel. And if that is the case, then Gabriel is saying, Zechariah, your prayer for the Messiah has been heard. How long do you pray for something, Christian, before you give up? I asked myself that this week. How long do I find myself praying for something, something that is a good thing that, that the Bible tells me I ought to pray for, and I pray for it, and I pray for it, and I pray for it, and how quickly do I stop praying for it when I don't see the results that I'm looking for. Imagine 400 years earlier, the prophet Malachi spoke these words. God speaking through Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those were the last words from God 400 years prior to this day. What happened 400 years ago this year in our country? I didn't know. I had to look it up. What happened 400 years ago? Well, one of the things that, that happened was that Captain Miles Standish was elected as the first commander of the Plymouth Colony 155 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That's 400 years ago in this land. Now, how long do you think it would have taken us as Americans to give up on a promise that was made when Miles Standish was elected the commander that day. If some promise was given that something would happen in this land, on that day the promise was given, how long do you think it would have taken us to forget about it? To figure that that was an idle promise, that for sure nothing was going to happen. I can't imagine any of us hanging around for 400 years waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, and yet Israel had not given up. For 400 years before that day, Israel had been given a promise that he would himself come to earth. The Lord God would come to his people, and the people of Israel every day every year remembered that promise and would pray, Lord, please send your deliverer that you promised. The Lord God said he would come to his people. That before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, 
that there would be a messenger that would be sent, a messenger who would be like Elijah, and that this messenger would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And for 400 years, Israel didn't forget that promise. And then one day, one day, finally, in the solitude of the holy place, amid the burning of the incense, Gabriel, God's mighty one, he looked at this old man and he said, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. Don't you see, your son is the Elijah who is to come. Your son is the messenger who will go before the Lord God himself. Your son is the one Malachi promised 400 years ago. Your son, you see, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What a day for this man. He thought he was getting the highlight of his life by burning incense. And this is what he gets. And the angel says, his name, Zechariah, is not going to be a name from your family. I want you to name him John. John means the Lord is gracious. And although Scripture tells us that Zechariah, again, did not immediately believe, and for that he was struck mute, it's, it's interesting that when the boy was born, Zechariah would write on a tablet, his name is John. I find it interesting that he, he doesn't write, his name will be John, or we will call him John. He writes, his name is John. That was the name, you see, that the Lord God gave him before he was even born. And there was no changing it. And immediately after Zechariah writes down, his name is John, the Lord opened his mouth and he could speak. And it's interesting that in the power of the Spirit, he doesn't proclaim praises to God that, that God would remove Elizabeth's barrenness or, or that he would give them a quiver full of children or, or anything pertaining to himself. When Zechariah's mouth is open and he, he begins to shout blessings, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That was what Zechariah praised that day concerning his son. You see, Gabriel's job wasn't finished. It was only halfway completed. Because if he visited a nobody that day in the temple, six months after that meeting with Zechariah, he went to an even more obscure person. 
It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This time, it it wasn't Caesar Augustus, it it wasn't King Herod, it, it wasn't even a priest in the holy place. It was the most obscure person you could ever imagine, an unknown virgin from Nazareth, quote, a city of Galilee. One scholar writes this, the fact that Nazareth had to be identified by Luke as a town in Galilee indicates its obscurity. And we know from the Gospel of John that not only was Nazareth obscure, but it was looked down upon as a dump of a city. Now, Gabriel visits a virgin. And if Zechariah had stopped praying for a child a long time ago, you can imagine that at least at this point, Mary hasn't prayed at all for a child. After all, she hasn't yet been married. She was a virgin and and up till this point had no expectation that she would have a child. She even expresses that to the angel. You see, Gabriel was about to bring to her part two of the most important message the world has ever heard. He came to her. And he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel had calmed Zechariah. He approached Zechariah with gentleness, if you will, as gentle as an angel can be. Interesting how different his approach to Mary is. Notice how he addresses Mary. He he doesn't wait for her to be scared. He immediately says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Thomas Aquinas writes about this greeting. He says, it was written in praise of Abraham that he received angels hospitably and that he showed them reverence. But it was never heard that an angel showed reverence to anyone in human history until he saluted the Virgin Mary. Now, like every other human being that encounters an angel, Mary was shaken. She was shaken, and and he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That statement, found favor with someone, is a very important statement. We find it all throughout the Old Testament. Esther found favor in the eyes of the king. David found favor in the eyes of Saul. 
Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz. Joseph found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And here Gabriel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. Found favor simply means you have found grace with God. You don't deserve what I'm about to tell you, Mary, but God has poured out on you his unmerited favor. And then he tells her, News that would make the news to Zechariah seem rather normal. He says, you, being a virgin, are going to conceive. Not only that, but she is going to bear a son. His name is not going to be John. The Lord is gracious. Her son's name is going to be Jesus. The Lord saves Notice, whereas John is great before the Lord, Jesus is simply called great. There is no qualifier with Jesus. And scholars point out that the word great, when used by itself to describe someone, refers only to God himself in the Old Testament. Your son, Mary, is going to be great Notice, Jesus is is not going to be the son of your husband, Joseph. Rather, he is going to be the son of the Most High. The title Most High is always given to God himself. And if you look at Matthew's genealogy, which we didn't look at this morning in in the readings, but but go back and, and look at it today. As you go through Matthew's genealogy, you'll see that that Matthew uh, continually uses the word begat. He says, For instance, Abraham was the father of or begat Isaac. That Isaac was the father of or begat Jacob, and and on and on it goes. But interestingly, when he arrives at Joseph, the begetting stops. He stops using that word. Matthew tells us instead, Jacob was the father of or begat Joseph, and Joseph was the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. You see, Joseph is the last to be begotten. And so in Matthew's genealogy, the long ancestry of Abraham and David ends at Jesus. And Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. Jesus is Joseph's son by adoption, but he is God's son by conception. And it's because of that that the angel Gabriel can say, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Just like Zechariah, Mary asks a question. How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, whereas Zechariah's question was a question of doubt rather than faith, Zechariah was saying, how in the world are you going to work this out? We're both old. That doesn't seem possible. Mary's was a question of faith. Mary was certain that this would happen. She was not asking, uh, how in the world can you do something like this? She was just questioning the process. How is this thing that you're promising going to happen? 
Because, yeah, Mary lived a long time ago, but even then they knew where babies came from. And Mary understood that that she had not been married yet. Whereas Gabriel had told Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now he says to Mary, you see Mary, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And therefore, because of those things, the child to be born will be called Holy, Other, the Son of God. One scholar puts it this way. Because it is within Mary's womb that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, he exists in a human manner as man. Because it is by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Most High, that Jesus is conceived as man within the womb of Mary, the identity of Jesus, who it is who is conceived as man, is that of the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. It cannot be overstated. That only the Holy Spirit, as the power of the Most High, could enact such an act. No human causal agent could enact an act such that the effect of that act is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, existing as man. And friends, it is because of this once-in-the-history-of-the-world conception that Jesus of Nazareth is and can be the only one who fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. There is no one else in the history of the world. And if you're looking for another Messiah, if you're looking this morning for another hope in this world, you'll run into a dead end. Because all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in this one who is Jesus of Nazareth. Which promises, you may be asking yourself? Well, all of the promises made by God. 2,000 years before that day, before the angel visited Mary, 2,000 years ago, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A thousand years before, a thousand years before Gabriel spoke to Mary, a promise was made to David. David was told, you see, David, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I'm going to raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons. I'm going to establish his kingdom. He will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father. He will be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. 700 years before Gabriel visited Mary, God spoke through prophet Isaiah. And he said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin is going to conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 500 years before Gabriel spoke to Mary, the prophet Daniel was told that after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is given the time where the Messiah was to be born. 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And that's why I believe the Magi came looking for this King of Kings. The Magi came from the east. They came from Babylon, which is exactly where Daniel served. He was one of those who was exiled into Babylon. And as Daniel served, he was raised up to be a prophet of God. He, he was, as he served in Babylon, a magi of magis. He revealed himself to have the knowledge of God. And Daniel prophesied 500 years earlier, pinpointing when the Messiah would be born. And you know who had the privilege of telling Daniel when the Messiah was to be born? It was the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel, 500 years before he spoke to Mary, promised Daniel that a Messiah was to be born, when the Messiah was to be born, and 500 years later, it was Gabriel who told Mary that she was to bear that Messiah. That she was to bear the one whose name would be the Lord saves. Now it's interesting, he didn't tell her how he would save not then. He told Daniel, he told Daniel that the anointed one would be cut off. The Hebrew word for cut off simply means to be killed. And one scholar says the implication of the term is that the Messiah would not only be killed, but that he would die a penal death by execution for others rather than for himself. Daniel was told that the anointed one, the one who was to reign forever and reign supremely, was first going to give his life for others. I want us this morning, as we head towards Christmas, in conclusion, to remember something. I want us to remember that all of the promises that Gabriel gave that day to Mary 2,000 years ago, not only fulfilled promises that were made thousands and hundreds of years before that day, but have themselves now been fulfilled. We now live on this side of the cross. And that's what we remember when we look back this week at the manger, at his birth. We remember not only the promises that God kept in sending Christ, but the promises that he will keep when he returns again. When Gabriel promised Mary all of the things that were about to happen, he pointed forward. He pointed forward not only to his life and death and his resurrection, but he pointed forward to the end of all history when this Messiah will come a second time. Not as a baby in a manger, but as a warrior king on a white horse to right all wrongs, to put an end 
to sin, to banish Satan and his demons once and for all, and to reign as the David who is to come. Christian, be encouraged this Christmas. Remember that all of God's promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this season. Thank you that as we gather around this tree that we have, most of us in our home, that as we gather with family and friends, as we open up presents, Lord, may we remember that all of this is due to the fact that you have kept your promises, that you sent your Son, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he emptied himself, that he tabernacled among us, and that he went all the way to the cross to save us from our sins. And may we never forget that he is coming again. We pray, Father, that between that day and today, we would live in honor of our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray.